No one comes to the Father but through Him. And this is why the gospel is the good news. Death no longer has any power over Jesus. Therefore, it no longer has any power over you. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. If you're believing for anything else from God, you're believing for small stuff. Inspiration for today. We're going to pray together. Ready to pray? Father, we come before you, Lord, and we pray, Lord, now as we go into your word that your Holy Spirit would teach us, your Holy Spirit would minister to us. Father God, do whatever you need to in our lives, in our hearts. You know what's going on, and we ask you, Father, that as we hear your word this morning, it would be so prevalent to where we are at, to what we're thinking, to um, the plans that the devil has to move us off track. Father, may we have conviction this morning, and may we stay in your presence, moving back into the place where we are close to you if we have moved away. But we thank you, Father, for your love, your goodness, and your mercy as we hear your word this morning. In Jesus we pray. Amen. Amen. Are you ready for the word? Yes. Are we going to get our loud on this morning? Amen. Amen. Because I need, I need us to be loud when I preach. Amen. The message this morning is called Dear Woman. Dear Woman. And I'm going to open up with the passage from Ezekiel, Old Testament, Ezekiel 22, verse 30, and it says this. I looked, God speaking, I looked for someone who might rebuild the wall. Now, if a wall is broken down, the enemy is able to get in. He's able to penetrate. The people that are inside are unprotected. But God says, I looked for someone. Not looking for a hero. He's looking just for anyone who would be available. Someone who might rebuild the wall of righteousness. Righteousness is when we are in right standing with God. It means that his judgment isn't going to come because of the righteousness that guards the land. I searched for someone to stand in the gap in the wall so I wouldn't have to destroy the land, but I found no one. So now I will pour out, on my, my, out my fury on them, consuming them with the fire of my anger. I will heap on their heads the full penalty for all their sins. I, the sovereign Lord, have spoken. And this is not God saying, I'm going to punish you because, yeah, I couldn't find anyone. It's God saying, unless I can find someone, my, my holiness needs to come down in a form of judgment. But if I find someone... I do not have to judge. And so we're going to look at John chapter 8 this morning. And as we look at the Bible this morning, I'm going to ask that you visualize the Bible with me. Yes? Will you literally see it playing out? Don't see it from, you know, the end of the story and, oh, yes, that. See it as it is happening. So John chapter 8 verse 1 starts by saying, But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Now the Mount of Olives was so named for the olive groves that once dotted its slopes. And Jesus goes, he went to the Mount of Olives. Now the Mount of Olives was between the wilderness 
and the most holy place, the Temple Mount. The Mount of Olives, on one side was the wilderness, and on the other side was the Temple Mount, the most holy place. Now, the wilderness, spiritually, is a place of loneliness. It is a place where you are alone, where there is self-doubt. You don't even believe in yourself spiritually. If we have to look at a wilderness, it's a place where we're so confused. We are questioning. We don't know who we are. We are in despair. There is no hope. It's a place where we feel knocked down and terribly alone. How do we survive a spiritual darkness? Well, if you're, in your, if you're in the wilderness, you could look up and see the Mount of Olives. Olives need to be crushed in order to bring out the oil. And this is exactly the exchange Jesus would make for us. And so when we look up from a place of the wilderness to behold, to behold means to look intensely and hold it there. Isn't that beautiful? To behold, to look intensely and hold it there. We will see that we are not alone, but that he is our refuge. He is our rock and he is our hiding place where we know who we are in him. That we do not need to be crushed by our circumstances because he poured out his life for us. That pouring out would bring anointing and power. So as you look up, you can get up. From that place of wilderness, as you look up, you can get up. How do we know that we're not alone? The oil from the crushing is symbolic of the Holy Spirit, whom Jesus promised to send when he would leave. He said he would send a comforter, one who would strengthen us and never leave us. So in the map, you see how Jesus is in the gap as he stands between the holy place, the deep presence of God, and the wilderness of our past and our shame. Jesus bridges the gap to get us back to that place where we can be in the presence of God out of the wilderness and into the presence of God. And so that is why Ezekiel 22 says, I looked for someone who might rebuild the wall of righteousness that guards the land, but I found no one. When Moses led the people out of slavery, he also stood in the gap like Jesus did. They are in the wilderness and God is teaching them his law and instructing them on how to build a sanctuary, the tabernacle. The tabernacle was a portable sanctuary for the people to worship God. But the people were afraid of God, for they knew his awesome power, and so they asked Moses to mediate on their behalf. So you see Moses stand between the people in the wilderness and the presence of God. To allow the people into the presence of God, God brings them the law. God is teaching them how to be holy to get into his presence. Deuteronomy chapter 5 verse 1 says, Moses called all the people of Israel together and said, listen carefully, Israel, hear 
the decrees and regulations I'm giving you today so you may learn them and obey them. You see, it was like when the people were listening to the parables. Some just wanted to hear. They wanted to be entertained. But it was the disciples that understood as they learned and obeyed. You see, when we hear the word, learn it and obey it, it becomes a compass to our life. It gives us direction. And so the Lord our God made a covenant with them at Mount Sinai another mountain, but it was a covenant between them bound by law. Deuteronomy chapter 5 verse 4 and 5 says, at the mountain, the Lord spoke face to face from the heart of a fire. I, Moses speaking, I, Moses speaking, stood as an intermediary between you and the Lord, for you were afraid of the fire and did not want to approach the mountain. He spoke to me, and I passed his words on to you. This is what he said. Now, I'm going to tell you what he said in a minute. But you see here that God met, just as God met Moses in the burning bush, face to face, called to save his people, God is now meeting people in the same way. However, Moses stood as an intermediary between the people and the Lord, for they were afraid of the fire, the judgment. The fire represents the holiness of God. Hebrews 12, 29 says, for our God is a devouring fire, or the AMPC says, for our God is indeed a consuming fire. It is a holy, devouring, consuming fire, and a symbol of God's anger and judgment. So Moses stood in the gap between the Holy One and the people in the wilderness as God gave them the law. And literally, God begins to tell them what we know as the Ten Commandments. And I just took from the message the Ten Commandments. Let's go through them together. No other gods, only me. No other gods, only me. No other gods in your culture, only me. No other gods that we will worship to, we would uphold or serve, only me. Number two, no carved gods of any type. Don't bow down to them and don't serve them. Number three, no using the name of God, your God, in curses or silly banter. God won't put up with the irreverent use of his name. You know, we, we live in a society where if you, something goes wrong, people use the name of Jesus Christ. Number four, no working on the Sabbath. Keep it holy just as, as God, your God, commanded you. Work six days, do everything you have to do, but not on the Sabbath. Number five, respect your father and mother. God, your God, commands it. Number six, no murder. No murder. We do not have the right to take any life. No murder. Number seven, no adultery. Number eight, no stealing. Not the company pen, not the taxes, not the stuff in someone else's bag. Number nine, no lies about your neighbor. No lying. 
Number 10, no coveting your neighbor's wife, house, or things. Coveting means you yearn to possess something that belongs to someone else. So how are you feeling right now? Me? Not so good. Deuteronomy 5 verse 5. Moses says, while I stood between the Lord and you at that time to declare to you the word of the Lord, for you were afraid because of the fire and you did not go up the mountain. You see, the people were too scared to ascend the mountain of law, Mount Sinai, because they were afraid of the judgment of God, which would consume them. But now, Jesus is going up another mountain the Mount of Olives, the place of crushing. Where he walks, he knows that he will become the sacrificial lamb consumed by the holy fire of God in exchange for the sin of the world, and he will go up. He will stand in the gap. So now, that is how chapter 8 starts. Jesus in the Mount of Olives where he spent the night, and early the next morning, he goes back to the temple. Think, he goes to the temple. It's early in the morning. It's early. It's before 8 o'clock when everyone starts working. It's early in the morning. And a crowd soon gathers. People are going to the temple before they go to work, before they go to the marketplace. They have gathered at the temple because they want to hear Jesus. It says that, that he sits down and he begins to teach them. Early in the morning, before work, you've got the picture. It's still early. When people are getting up and getting ready and going to gym and it's early. Jesus is in the temple and a crowd is gathered and he sits down to begin to teach them. And as he's speaking, the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees bring a woman who has been caught in the act of adultery, which means she woke up in the bed of somebody. Was it still early? And the religious leaders found her. My question is, why did they find her? Where were they? Where was she? But they found her. And they drag her. And the Bible doesn't say whether she was clothed, whether she was naked, but I can assure you she must have been ashamed. And they make her stand in the middle of everyone. Jesus teaching this crowd. And the next minute, this fuss as these religious leaders and scholars make their way through the crowd, making her stand in the middle of everyone. John chapter 8 verse 4 says, Then they said to Jesus, Teacher, we caught this woman in the very act of adultery. Doesn't Moses' law command us to stone to death a woman like this? Tell us, what do you say we should do with her? They were only testing Jesus because they hoped to trap him by his own words and accuse him of breaking the laws of Moses. But Jesus didn't answer them. Instead, he simply bent down and wrote in the dust with his finger. Picture it. I want you to imagine the crowd shocked, some disgusted, some humiliated for the woman. 
some beginning to ask, isn't that so-and-so's wife, daughter, sister? And all eyes are on Jesus. How will he respond? Now, there have been many speculations as to what Jesus wrote in the dust. Some say he wrote all the men's names that had actually committed adultery with her, many of who were standing there right then. But the Bible doesn't tell us what he wrote. What the Bible does tell us is this in Exodus. The Lord said to Moses, Come up to the mountain, stay there, and I will give you the tablets of stone on which I have inscribed the instructions and commands so you can teach the people. In, ver- in chapter 31, verse 18, it says, When the Lord finished speaking to Moses on Mount Sinai, he gave him the two stone tablets inscribed with the terms of the covenant written by the finger of God. They were trying to trap Jesus with the law. And Jesus stoops onto the floor and begins to show them that he knows what God wrote, his position in heaven. And so, yeah, you have a woman who is in the wilderness while all of this is happening. We need to understand that a Christless life leaves us in the wilderness, or as a Christian, a disobedient life leaves us in the wilderness. People like to throw people into the wilderness, judging them. And yet we forget that we were all once in the wilderness. We were all once without Christ and in the wilderness, alone, isolated, lost, no identity, and no belonging. And Jesus, by bending over and writing in the dust with his finger, shows how God has written the the law down on the tablets. He may, if I can speculate, possibly be writing the Ten Commandments as they were waiting. But notice, they don't leave it. They don't let it go. In John chapter 8, verse 7, it says, angry, they kept insisting that he answer their question. So Jesus stood up and looked at them and said, let's have the man who has never had a sinful desire throw the first stone at her. And then he bent over again and wrote some more words in the dust. Upon hearing that, her accusers slowly left the crowd one at a time, beginning with the oldest to the youngest, with a convicted conscience. They knew Jesus had taught that if a man looks at a woman with lust in his heart, he has committed adultery. The older men with less pride and knowing all their mistakes of their past leave. The wisdom of their years convicting them. The younger men, full of pride, relentless. Until they see their mentors, their leaders quickly leave. It's what you do with a convicted conscience that counts. You can walk away, but not change. Because in order to change, you have to repent. 
You can walk away and still be full of hatred. You can walk away and still be full of judgment. You can walk away and still be full of revenge. You can walk away and still be full of deceit. You can be full of unforgiveness. You can still be full of lies and corruption. Judas and Peter are perfect examples of this. Judas knew he had sinned and he committed suicide. It's the ultimate form of pride for him. Not to be able to come to God himself and be humble enough to repent. Instead, he took his life. But don't we still do this today? We walk away because there is too much pride to say sorry. Religious people even do this in churches. They say, the church hurt me. Judas removed himself. Peter still found himself in the crowd. He wasn't sure what to do next. He felt like a complete failure, and yet he was still there. I saw a statement that read, if Jesus has not changed your life, the Jesus you met was another Jesus. When Jesus impacts your life, it is a supernatural work of the Holy Spirit, and he changes you completely. He takes that heart of stone, and he replaces it with a heart of flesh. So John chapter 8, verse 10 says, until finally Jesus was left alone with the woman still standing there in front of him. So he stood back up, and he said to her, dear woman, dear woman, where are your accusers? Is there no one here to condemn you? Looking around, she replied, I see no one, Lord. Jesus said, then I certainly don't condemn you either. Go, and from now on, be free. Be free. Be free from a life of sin. What a beautiful savior. Talk about standing in between the mess of the wilderness and the accuser. There are three times in the Bible where Jesus says, dear woman. It was a very respectful form of address in their culture. The first time Jesus uses that phrase is with his mother. They go to a wedding, and his mother realizes the wine has run out, and she knows that that is an inc will bring incredible shame to the family. And so she calls Jesus, and he says, Dear woman, it is not my time. Her reply is to the servants, and she says to them, Do exactly as he tells you. This was Jesus' first miracle. The second time is with this woman who was caught in the act of adultery. The third time is after Jesus has been crucified and he has been resurrected from the dead. The woman go to the tomb. They find the, the stone rolled away and it's empty. And Mary Magdalene is crying. And Jesus says to her, dear woman, why are you crying? See, whether it was his dear mom, family, a complete stranger, or a disciple or follower, his love was the same. His mercy and his compassion for the stranger was as deep as his own family. 
For his aim is always that we are adopted. He will stand in the gap. He will reconcile. Matthew 5.17 says, Don't misunderstand why I've come, Jesus speaking. I did not come to abolish the law of Moses or the writings of the prophets. I came to accomplish their purpose. He came to stand in the gap so that we would know, that we would know the law, but that as we receive him, we would be able to be presented to God righteous. We would be able to get into his presence. Jesus came to bridge the gap back to the Father. He does that through mercy and forgiveness. And when we receive it, we can step into a relationship in the presence of the Holy One, void of his judgment. Romans 8.34 says, Who is there to condemn us? Will Christ Jesus, the Messiah, who died, or rather who was raised from the dead, who is at the right hand of God, actually pleading as he intercedes for us? He's still standing in the gap. Who shall ever separate us from Christ's love? Shall suffering and affliction and tribulation, shall being in the wilderness separate us from his love? Calamity and distress persecution or hunger or destitution or peril or sword. You know, I know of so many people who turned away from God in any of those situations. But the Bible says nothing can separate us from His love. When we experience that love, His love controls us so that we become someone who will stand in the gap. 2 Corinthians 5 says, For the love of Christ controls us. You see, you can't stand in the gap if you're not filled with love, not just a deep love for family, not just a deep love for someone in ministry with you, but a deep love for the stranger as well. It says, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. And 2 Corinthians 5, and I'm closing with this. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, We are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin. So that in him, we might become the righteousness of God. If I can swing it right back to that very first verse in Ezekiel where God says, I was looking for someone, someone to build the wall so that I don't destroy the land, that the land is righteous before me. You see, when it is righteous before God, the judgment of God does not have to fall. God doesn't want his judgment to fall. He wants his mercy. He wants his grace. He wants his forgiveness to stand in the gap for all of us. And 
Nazi's done that for us and we've received that. He wants us to bring others, to stand in the gap for others. That as they're in the wilderness, we would pull them out of the wilderness and into the presence of God. One more, Jesus. Give me one more. That that would be the call on our life. And God is saying, I'm looking for someone. I'm fully convinced we are those someones. All of us. God hasn't pushed any one of us out of that picture. The question is, will we hear, obey? Will we hear, learn, and obey? Will we respond? So this morning, we've got to look at that and say, who are we right now? Are we the woman in the wilderness needing a savior to move us from that place of brokenness, shame, hurt, pain into a place where we can be in the presence of God? Jesus is here and he wants to bring you into that place of his presence. Are we the religious leader throwing people into the wilderness? Or will we be Jesus and be the person who stands in the gap, going, give me one more, Lord. Give me one more. A beautiful picture that we can take someone. God has equipped us. He's empowered us. He's enabled us that we can take someone from that position to that position. I was speaking to someone this week and they were saying how in their nation, in Europe, they, their children are so sexualized by the age of 15. But as they said that, it made me realize, isn't that the state of our own nation? Most children have been so sexualized because of abuse, because of rape from the age of little. But now, even worse than that is education is sexualizing children. TV and social media are being built in a way to sexualize children. Will we go, oh, times are so bad, times are so hard, or will we go, I will be that someone? If I can minister to one person, if I can stand in the gap for one person and teach them and pull them from that place of the wilderness into the presence of God, I will do that. We are those people in our workplaces. There's so many times there's someone at work nobody likes. There's so many times at work people go, just stay away from that person. They're such a troublemaker or they're always complaining. But have you ever considered that they're just in the wilderness and they need someone to take them from that place? Not because they judge them and move them into the beautiful presence of God. We are called in our schools, you in that school, you in that university, you on that taxi, you in that workplace, you are that someone. And I'm more fully convinced than ever before that we, we, we can change this nation. And that if we don't, it will just get worse. And God is saying, will you stand in the gap 
Will you stand in the gap so that I will see righteousness? Will you do that for me? Because if you don't, my judgment must come down. And I think this morning we can say, I will stand in the gap. Acts of church, can we stand in that gap? Not because I better stand in the gap, we've been challenged now, but because it's a conviction. Because even if it's right now, suddenly we are fully convinced we can make a difference on this earth. We are fully convinced we can make a difference in someone's life. trumpet rising now the hearts of our fathers in us crying out for the lies that were stolen the hope held in chains we are declaring enough in Jesus No more sorrow, no more night, no more darkness, we choose light, no more sorrow.